welcome to Deeper, a podcast by Wollongong Baptist Church. Join us as we take the plunge and dive deeper into the Word of God as recorded in the Bible. Here, we'll unpack and examine further the Bible talks presented on Sundays across our three English-speaking services. To hear the latest sermon, head to our website at wollongongbaptist.org. Today, we'll be thinking through the most recent instalment of our series on the Gospel of Luke as our pastors answer questions that arose from this week's talk. So, let's get right into it and dive deeper. for another week of Deeper. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Um, my name is Grace Jones, and joining me today is Pastor Mark Roberts. Hi, Mark. Thanks hey, for joining us. Pleasure. Exciting to uh, be talking through the uh, passage from yesterday. Um, so the sermon yesterday was from the 3rd of March, when we were looking at Luke chapter 11, verses 29 through to 36. Can you just give us a quick reminder, or a bit of a recap of what that talk was about? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think that this whole passage is picking up and, and sort of finishing off that section that we looked at actually last week where Jesus heals, uh, casts out the demon and then the crowd respond to him. Uh, and in this case, what Jesus is going to do is respond to those people who have been asking for a sign. And uh, it seems as though what Jesus says to the crowd is you've been given enough proof. And so he says to us what is the definitive bit of evidence, the definitive bit of proof uh, that should cause us to put our trust in him. And he uses this language of it being the sign of Jonah, which we had to think about what that might refer to. Uh, and I came away saying that that refers to the death and resurrection of Jesus, that same pattern that Jonah went through in the belly of the fish, uh, but also the message of that, uh, that coming day of judgment when all people will be held to account, uh, for which Jesus' death and resurrection is the only remedy. Uh, so uh, that was seemed to be Jesus' main point here. And then he goes on in a variety of ways to warn us about the need to respond to that sign. And we looked at three very graphic kind of pictures mm. that Jesus paints about the seriousness and the importance of taking this seriously and acting and responding, not just ignoring this sign, but actually changing as a result of it. So that was, that's in a nutshell, that's where we went. Yeah, cool. Um, so the passage was a tricky one. It was um, quite difficult to navigate. There's some obscure references, some mixed metaphors. Um, in other parts of the Bible, when Jesus is speaking in parables and he's using kind of, I guess, imagery and things, there are times when he then quickly, almost immediately after, actually unpacks exactly what he meant. There are. And, and we're, he... th we're thankful for those, those <laughs> yes. points where Jesus makes it clear, aren't It's we? really clear. He yeah. talks through exactly who... Uh, what each image kind of represents and things. But in this case, he has not done that. Mm. Um, and we're left kind of scratching our heads a little bit. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, as Christians, when we sit down and we read the Bible and we're on our own and we come across a passage like this um, that seems to be able to be kind of interpreted in different ways or it seems to require a bit of Bible knowledge that um, maybe we don't actually have yet, um, how do we go about understanding the true meaning of confusing passages like this one? That's a really good question because that experience of the Bible seemingly 
uh, not revealing um, all of its treasures to us immediately. That's an experience mm. that every one of us, I think, has had, <laughs> probably has on a weekly basis. Mm. Um, God's word is is deep, and to try and um, wade through and to um, understand and to pull out all of the wisdom that God has put in these words uh, is a it takes time mm. and it's hard, and we are so frail and finite that we find that really difficult. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it's a good question. What are we supposed to do then when we come to the Bible and you read it and it's clear as mud? <laughs> or yeah. we, parts of it perhaps seem clear, yet parts of it still feel very confusing. Mm. Uh, I guess the first thing I would say is don't panic when that's happening. You're not uh, unique. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it happens to me. It happened to me this week, wrestling with this passage this week yeah. uh, in the lead up to the sermon yesterday was a, a real struggle and mm. a real wrestling in prayer to try and figure out what's going on there. Mm. Uh, that would be the first thing I'd say. But I, the second thing I would say is it's important for us to have realistic expectations when we come to the Bible. That um, if I can use this kind of metaphor, the Bible is not like a protein bar. It's more like a hard-boiled lolly. <laughs> that uh, all of the goodness there that's contained in God's word is not designed for us to just ingest it and then move on with our mm. day in the space of a couple of minutes. Yeah. Actually, the way that God is going to shape us and to renew our minds is through meditating on his word. Mm. And so uh, the Psalms call us to do this. Psalm 1, the, the, the Psalm that sets the stage for the whole rest of the book of Psalms reminds us that uh, the godly person, the blessed man, is the one who meditates on God's Lord day mm. and night. And so we should probably expect when we come to the Bible that we're going to have to keep thinking about it and mm. keep wrestling with it long after we actually finish reading the words on the page to try and understand the meaning put it within its context and and get all that god is trying to give to us as we read it mm. so that would just sort of be a, a little bit of a a warning i suppose before yeah. we come to let's come with the right expectations yeah no that's helpful in terms of well what do you do then when at the end of the day we do want to find the answers yeah. we do want to um, be able to stand on solid ground have confidence that we're believing the right thing out of the bible mm. what do we do then well there's probably lots of uh, tips and suggestions uh, I tried in my sermon yesterday to uh, make the point, particularly when we looked at verses 34, 35, 36, which is that uh, quite confusing set of metaphors to do with the lamp, uh, your eye being the lamp of the body and the light inside you being darkness and all that kind of stuff. I made the point that uh, whilst the specifics might be tricky to nail down, the main point, the, the real reason that's there is actually crystal clear. Mm. And so I, I would encourage people who are struggling with an, uh, the details of a text to try and do that kind of taking a step back and reminding themselves or can they figure out, is it clear to them what the main thing is here? Sure, some of the, some of the side issues, some of the peripheral stuff, some of the details may still be eluding them, mm. but is the main point clear? And if it is, well, we can thank God for that. And, yeah, yeah. and usually a lot of the, the detailed questions are either uh, inconsequential or they're questions that will find their answer in relation to that main point. And so uh, all the time when we're reading the Bible, that should be part of our mindset is what is, what is the main thing God is trying to communicate to me here? And uh, sometimes the confusion happens because we're focusing too much on the unknowns, on the small uh, minutia, mm. uh, instead of focusing on the main message and uh, discerning that. So that would be step one. Step two then, there will be times when uh, you reach a point in trying to understand the Bible where 
finding the answer to this particular question cannot be found in or in the text itself. Right. And again, there was an example of that last night with the sign of Jonah, where Jesus doesn't tell us what that is in this passage. And, and pause for a sec. Do you mean sure. in the text as in, in the whole Bible or is in that specific part of the Bible? I mean in this specific part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so with the example of the, the sign of Jonah, Jesus doesn't tell us in this passage. The book of Jonah doesn't make it explicit either. Mm. And so what we do at that point is an exercise in systematic theology where we're trying to bring the rest of the Bible to bear on finding out what the answer is to that question. And so we considered, for example, the parallel passage in Matthew 12, where Jesus does explicitly say, sign of Jonah is his death and resurrection. Right. You do have to consider at that point that uh, Matthew's writing with a different purpose than Luke. And so it's not just sort of a one-to-one correspondence of, oh, if somewhere else in the Bible says it, well then that must be the answer to my question in this passage as well. You have to do some hard work about uh, whether the, the same intention is there in this passage uh, versus the other passage. Mm. Uh, so we, we, we do that work of trying to bring the rest of the Bible to bear. But again, there may come a point where we just don't know the answer to this question. We don't know the, the historical detail that this thing is referring to. Uh, if you don't know what the Queen of the South is, you can read Luke 11, 29 to 36 as many times as you want and it won't tell you the answer. Yeah. You have to be able to have some tools that will answer those questions for you. So I would encourage everyone to have a good Bible with some cross-references in it. Right. Uh, it. Not expensive, and in fact, they're free if you want to go online. And uh, the real helpfulness there is that they'll point you to other parts of the Bible that may give you those answers. So it mm. keeps you within God's Word, just sort of helps you find them uh, with the process of finding where that, that data might lie. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, though, uh, there are times when it can be helpful to consult what other people have thought and said and written about Uh, these texts in the Bible themselves. And so going to a commentary uh, could be a helpful thing if none of those other steps so far have yielded an answer. Uh, It's not something necessarily I think is, is, uh, it's not something I think is necessary for every Christian every time they read the Bible to uh, then go to a commentary and and hear Mm. what somebody else says about it. There is a bit of a danger in doing that actually, that uh, we can become reliant on uh, trusting what somebody else tells us about it rather than, uh, the work of the Spirit within us to illuminate God's Word to yeah, us. Yeah. Uh, and so I would always make that the last step in the process. If right. you're wrestling with it and if the wisdom of other people that you know uh, in your home group, for instance, you haven't been able to find this answer, then probably at that stage it would be a wise thing to do to go and see if you can find some answers there. Uh, there was even an example uh, yesterday though <laughs> where even the commentators, even the theologians and scholars who've, who've looked into this stuff, disagree on what the answer was Uh, and so at at some point there has to be a judgment call there has to be um, a decision made about what we think this thing is referring to Uh, so the example yesterday in the sermon was um, uh, whether the sign of Jonah refers to just the death and resurrection of Jesus or also the preaching as it was for Jonah the preaching to the Ninevites Uh, and commentators are split about 50-50 on what that one refers to and so I tried in my sermon to, to model a kind of humility of, well, it, it's probably both, or there's probably some wisdom in both those answers. And so when you find yourself in that situation, you've been investigating the Bible, trying to find answers, wrestling in prayer for uh, what this thing might mean, and you've got two very valid options there, then I think what God would have us do is just stand with an open hand, hold those things mm. with an open hand, and to say, well, I think there's some truth in this kind of general territory. I'm not 100% sure whether it's one or the other or a bit of both, uh, but 
hopefully by that stage we've understood the point of the passage god has been doing his work in us as we've been meditating and chewing on god's word mm. and so actually at the end of the day it's probably not uh gonna make or break it which which one of those two you come down on in most cases yeah, yeah. okay that's really helpful um shifting gears a little bit now um in a lot of ways the passage from yesterday was really quite uncomfortable mm. it was quite um direct mm. and there's a really serious message in there about salvation mm. um so i guess my question is how um should this particular passage that we're looking at how should that um inform us as christians in how we go about evangelism and sharing the gospel with our non-christian friends and family yeah it's fascinating, isn't it, as we read through the Gospels to see the way Jesus does evangelism mm. <laughs> because you probably won't pick up any textbook on evangelism. You won't go to any seminar that will encourage you to be as blunt and yeah. as direct. and it's really to, cut and dry. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's something helpful in realizing that, that actually our, our tendency as we uh, speak the Gospel to people is uh, to sort of go softly, softly and mm. to win an audience and to introduce them to some aspect of the gospel that meets a need that they feel. And there's nothing wrong with approaching evangelism that way. It's just not the way that Jesus did it most of the time. Yeah. And it's not certainly not the way in the book of Acts that the gospel is preached. Yeah. Actually, the, the predominant message as you read through the book of Acts is that Jesus Christ is the risen and reigning Lord of the universe. You're living in his world and you need to bend the knee to him. Yeah. And so actually the early church had a much more confrontational approach, yeah. I think, to evangelism. Not afraid to ruffle feathers. Not at all, no. Uh, and look, I'm not su suggesting that we all ought to go out there and start yelling and preaching fire and brimstone at people. Mm. Uh, but I am saying that maybe there's a time and a place for that. And certainly, I think last night and yesterday as we were wrestling with this passage, uh, we can't avoid the the serious um, seriousness of being confronted with a final day of judgment and the need to be forgiven before mm. we reach that day. And so, uh, bear that in mind. I say I would say as we uh, approach um, non Christians. But I think the the real helpful part of yesterday's passage to help us think about uh, how how we speak the gospel to people is in Jesus' recognition here that the one sign that this this doubting uh, generation needs to be given is the sign of Jonah, you know, the, the death and resurrection and the message about Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus doesn't continue to provide evidence and evidence and evidence, and he doesn't uh, offer them proofs around the periphery for other kind of theological matters or apologetic questions. Mm. He says, no, the thing that you need to wrap your head around, the thing you need to come to terms with is my death and resurrection. And that's really helpful uh, because I think that there, there, there is a tendency that we all feel and often a fear that we all feel when it comes to evangelism that people are going to want to ask tough apologetic questions and we've got to know the answers to it and we've got to have convincing answers to those mm, things. Yeah. And there's certainly value in those things. I'm not saying we, we avoid those questions outright, but let's recognize that what that person who's asking those apologetic questions to us, what that person needs is to see and to understand Jesus' death and resurrection for them. Mm. Uh, Jesus is, is crystal clear here that that is the thing that they've got to reckon with. And so I would say as we, as we share the gospel with people, we've, it's all well and good for us to try and you know, explain why we think there is a creator and if they want to ask us questions about evolution and science, great, we can have those conversations. 
but it's far more valuable to, to try and get back to the central issue of the gospel as quickly as mm. possible. And so in my life, the way that I've done that often in when I find myself entangled in those like tricky evangelistic conversations. Yeah. It's easy, I think, to get tangled in there. It sure is. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Christians in this day and age are on the back foot. And so yeah. we, we often feel just automatically like, oh, we've got to be defensive. Oh, we've got to give them answers yeah, as quickly yeah. as possible. The way that I've sort of stepped around that problem from time to time is when people have been asking me those questions, I can say to them, well, that's a good question and I can give you an answer, but actually my answer to that question is not going to make any sense to you until Mm. you understand what I believe at its most kind of central aspect. Mm. And so can I tell you about what I believe? And then there's an opportunity for me to speak about the gospel there. And so I I would encourage as many people as possible to do that. Uh, What is going to save someone at the end of the day is the message of the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1 that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. It's not our cleverness that's the power of God for salvation. It's not our apologetic answers. It's the message of the gospel. That is how God brings people from death to life. As the gospel is proclaimed and God opens the eyes of their heart to respond in faith. And so that's where we want to get to as much as possible in our conversations. Have you reckoned with the sign of Jonah? Have you considered the death and resurrection of Jesus? What do you make of that? Give an account. Yeah, that would be my encouragement from this passage. Yeah, no, I think that's really helpful to be drawing people back to Jesus. Who Mm. is he? Mm. Is he the son of God or not? Mm. Did he die for salvation or not? That's right. Yeah, Yeah. that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, So your talk on Sunday was actually mostly directed at people in the congregation who aren't yet Christians. Mm. Um, so you were kind of pointing them um, back to Jesus as the, the way. Mm. Um, what does the passage have to say, though, to people who have already accepted that good news of the gospel? Mm. Um, yeah, is there a, a response that as Christians that we should have to the passage? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, well, it was a function of... Uh, uh, this passage that we we're in that I, I made a decision to preach it to the non-Christians who are present with us every single Sunday and I'm really thankful uh, this is a good opportunity for me to say this I'm really thankful for our church uh, to understand that that is something that we do from time to time mm. uh, that we will uh, make the gospel explicit and ask people who have not yet uh, put their trust in Jesus to do so yeah. uh, because we have a mixed gathering of people here every Sunday and so uh, from time to time we make those decisions when the text uh, that we're preaching on um, sort of leads us in that direction to, mm. to target, if you like, if I can use that word, the non-Christians, then we do that. Uh, yeah. But nevertheless, it does still apply to us as Christians. I was reflecting on this uh, throughout the week that uh, those three warning pictures that Jesus paints for us uh, throughout the passage are actually ways that we as Christians are called to continually respond to Jesus in faith. And so if you remember the three warning pictures that we looked at yesterday were the the Queen of the South who makes great efforts to come to King Solomon. Mm. And the challenge Jesus puts is, well, will you make the effort to come to me? Mm. Uh, Then also we looked at the repentance of the Ninevites, uh, their their whole um, completely elaborate and thorough repentance, uh, even at the the slightest uh, warning from the prophet Jonah. And so the, the challenge there is, well, will you repent of your sins at the realization of the coming judgment of God. And then the third 
warning picture we saw was about the eyes, uh, whether they will or won't let the light into the heart. Mm. And all three of those metaphors are metaphors that the New Testament picks up on and encourages Christians uh, in, in their relationship to God. So, uh, for instance, the, uh, the call to come to God, as the Queen of the South did, if we look in James chapter 4, uh, we are reminded uh, to come near to God. James says in chapter 4, verse 8, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so that, that kind of coming near to God, the daily uh, drawing near to him in faith, having mm. communion with God, uh, is something that is to characterize the Christian life. And we can learn a lot from the Queen of the South, yeah. uh, who, uh, you know, despite her position in life, despite her busyness, despite the, the difficulty of coming, and with the great cost that it, it did cost her, yeah. she still comes. Yeah. And so I'm challenged as, as a follower of Jesus to think, well, what access do I have to Christ? Yeah. You know, I'm invited to draw near to the throne of grace, mm. uh, we're told in Hebrews. Do I make use of that privilege? Do I mm. come to, to God as as quickly and as with as much hunger as the Queen of the South came yeah. to Solomon? Because I should. Yeah. Uh, one greater than Solomon is here and we have access to him. So let's come to him just as Jesus did, uh, just as the Queen of the South did. Mm. Uh, the, the metaphor there of uh, the Ninevites repenting, that is obviously something that the New Testament speaks a lot about, the need to continually repent of our sin. Yeah. Uh, repentance is uh, it's obviously part of the gateway into the Christian life. Yeah. The message of the kingdom that Jesus comes preaching is repent and believe. And so that's what kickstarts the Christian journey. Uh, but repentance is actually to be a hallmark of our lives day by day by day. Yeah. And so 1 John is a great place to remind us of that. Uh, John writes chapter 1 of his first epistle, uh, verse 8, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so there's clearly to be a daily reflecting on our own sin, our own wickedness, just as the people of, of Nineveh did, mm. uh, and a turning back to God, a recognition, as we often sing, that our hearts are prone to wander mm. and we need to confess sin, bring it into the light of the gospel and turn anew and afresh to follow Jesus. So both those warnings, I think, are, are, are to be daily patterns of the Christian life. And then the third, third warning uh, that Jesus makes in, in Luke 11 there is for the light to enter into our, through our eyes and into our, our hearts, into our, our bodies, and to fill us with light. And again, that light metaphor is one of the richest metaphors in the yeah. New Testament. You can barely find a book in the New <laughs> Testament that doesn't pick up on that. Uh, and so again, in 1 John, for example, in, in just the verses immediately before uh, the, the encouragement there to confess sin, uh, John writes this, uh, If we claim to have fellowship with him, that is Jesus, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And so again, that the encouragement that Jesus is making implicitly there in Luke 11 to let the light fill us. In fact, explicitly in verse 35, see to it that the light within you is not darkness. Mm. 
as a Christian, I want to see to it that in my life there is no darkness left mm. uh, and that the light of uh, the glory of God seen in the face of Christ, as we're told in 2 Corinthians, is shining into my life daily. Uh, and so there's, there's the question there for a Christian to reflect on. Am I, reflect on, am I living in the dark or am I living in the light of the gospel? Am I, are there things that I'm trying to hide in my life and hold back from Jesus or am I surrendering all to him and allowing him to fill me and to change me and to make me a new person? And so I think that this, this passage, we didn't get to talk about it much yesterday, sadly, but <laughs> there's a great deal of reflection that Christians should be doing after we read this passage. If this is what Jesus is calling the non-Christian to do, uh, the doubting skeptic who's just playing games with him, then surely he's calling us to the same pattern of behavior as we continue mm. to relate to him as well. Mm. Thank you. That was really, that was really helpful. And a, bit, a big challenge, I guess, each mm. day to be coming to Jesus to be um, repentant mm. and to be making sure that we are living authentically. Absolutely. As people of the light. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you so much for um, joining us today, Mark. It's been great to have you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. See you next time. Bye. You have been listening to Deeper by Wollongong Baptist Church. We'd love you to join us at any of our services this coming Sunday. For details and to hear further content, please head to our website at wollongongbaptist.org.